Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter Podcast. I'm going to try, I've been practicing before we come on air to get Marcos's name. So I'm joined by my guest, Marcus Venoso Pene. Marcos, how are you doing? Yes. Hello, Thomas. It's <laughs> close. It's Marcos Vinicius. But people usually call me MD because it's oh. easier. <laughs> you, you could have told me that before. MDs, for, uh, for everyone listening, I promise I did get it perfect just before we hit record. And now we're on record. I've messed it up. But no, MD is um, MD's perfect. I'm going to do you a bit of an in- intro, MD. Done some speaking, very experienced, been a technical manager, worked for big logos like Tartar Consulting, currently the director of adversary simulations and so got absolutely boatloads of sound certifications offset certifications crown strike certificate i think you've got 30 certifications in total which we're going to get into but i've done you a little bit of an intro there md if you can can never do it as well as you if we can start by you telling me and the listeners who you are and what you've been up to career-wise over the years my friend if that's cool with you Sure. Yeah. So first of all, thank you, Thomas, for this opportunity to participate in your podcast. And for the listeners, hello, my name is Merkels. I am the mission. People call me MD. So yeah. So regarding the present, I just changed to another company and position. But until then, my work as director of adversary simulation consisted of creating and growing a team of highly skilled professionals in breaking stuff. And that was here in Canada, but they have professionals in Brazil and what we're planning to grow globally as well to the US and so on. So I would say that my technical background was the main driver during my career progression to this leadership function. And right now I'm transitioning from this consulting dash services to the financial industry mm. and it requires a different mindset so i'm very excited about it but now talking a little bit about the beginning my interest in computers started when i was only five years old specifically in 93. my father is responsible for that he had recently migrated from telecom to the IT area, and that's the early 90s. So at that time, having a computer at home was something rare in Brazil, because I'm Brazilian. And for example, the internet became publicly available for us in 95. But okay. in 91, he was traveling to the US to study PCPAP. So because of things like that, I had access to some really cool stuff ahead of time. Things that some friends only got access like four, five years later. And then I remember I was, I'd say 13 years. I was installing Linux, playing with NMAP, playing with some basic exploits from Packet Store. And at that time, I remember watching Matrix. Do you remember the movie, Matrix? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool, yeah. right? Yes, yes, I am that old. Don't worry, I'm definitely that old. <laughs> yeah. And, and not sure if you remember, 
Trinity, there is a scene that she's running in map for real in the movie. And you, we can see the screen, she's running in map and then exploit for us age. I remember I got excited as a teenager. And that's when I remember that things changed for me. Because that's when I decided to do that for a living. And with 14 years, I got my first part-time job. I remember it was a university. And I had root access in all Linux servers, thanks to the one RC vulnerability affecting Samba. If I remember correctly, it was 2.2.6, the version. So this event made me progress in, in that institution when I, while I was only a teenager. And I would say that because of these things happening, all things happened naturally to me. I kept putting effort into something that I loved and the reward and recognition came as a consequence. So this would be a quick summary of my career and my life. Thank you. Thank you, my friends. And really insightful, Mark ND there. And also to get a five-year head start in InfoSec is massive, isn't it? That must have been, that must have been brilliant. So big, big shout out to your, to, to your father there for, for that. And yeah, that, that's like probably 10 or 15 years in, in any other industry. So that must have been, been really nice. And I know we spoke about it before this. Mega hackers down in, in Brazil. I had a, I was on a big project last year and we were recruiting out of South America at one point and there's some good talent down there, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, a lot of good professionals. South yeah. America is good. The only downside, for example, Brazil is that we don't have English as a second language. We speak Portuguese and we only have Brazil and a few countries in the world. So that's a little bit of a roadblock, mm. but yeah, we have good professionals there. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. Okay, look, I know I mentioned it at the top of the show, but I do want to talk about your certifications. Like I said, you've got 30 on your LinkedIn profile. If it's cool with you, we'll post your LinkedIn profile in the show notes when we release this episode. The ones I want to talk about are your OSCP and your SANS ones, because I feel like they are the biggest path to progression for people listening. What out of the sounds and the OSC certifications you've got, what have you found most useful and why? Yeah. Yeah. To your point, Thomas, it, yeah, high number of certifications, but I see the number is just the result of time and effort I put into learning new things. It mm. could be overwhelming and it requires a clear strategy. Otherwise you burn a lot of energy. Regardless of OSCP or SAN certifications, I would break the helpful certifications in the two groups. The first group I would list like learning rewards. And here I would put certifications like CRT, which is the rating expert from altered security and ECMAP from e-learning security, the Maranaus professional certification because they come with strong knowledge baggage. However, they still don't have that market recognition they deserve. They are also cost attractive. So it's an excellent starting point for beginners. And the second group, I list yes, the heavyweights 
in the industry, and that includes Offsec and SAMS, because they basically define the industry standard. And for example, SAMS released this CyberLight, which is the practical exam, which is pretty cool. However, they are more costly, especially if you go with SANS, but they have massive recognition on top of that knowledge baggage. So that's cool. On the other hand, we see many professionals that see the certification industry as something bad, like it only exists to take our money. And I must say that my certifications were door openers in many situations. So my advice is, if you want to expand your career possibilities, yeah, maybe you can choose and take some key certifications because besides that badge, it's an excellent way to measure your knowledge and your skills of a given topic. And another comment that I have is, Thomas, and it's something that very few people discuss in the industry. And the thing is, your goals cannot come at the cost of your biological or mental health. I know many professionals that uh, who already had burnout. And I'm not an exception. So my main advice here is be gentle to yourself, define doable goals, create a solid study plan and create a methodology that works for you. Mm. The preparation mm. methodology, and I use my example, is an, as essential as a technique is for an athlete. If you don't have a good one, you likely burn more energy than needed. So my example, my preparation started slowing better when I considered it as a marathon rather than in sprint, I noticed that studying daily in smaller portions at a constant pace was way more effective for content retention than hushing and going crazy and in random sprints. Finally, don't judge yourself based on social media because people mm. often post about their achievements, but you rarely see their failures. So. You must accept that failure is normal, otherwise you get frustrated. If you don't see that as part of development improvement process, you see you fail one exam, for example. Yeah, thanks for that. And there's loads that I want to I want to talk to you about there. So we start you started on certifications. I think TCM security are doing some are making some good moves and PMPT yeah. quite a practical, quite a strong certification. But then on the flip side, some of the larger clients that I've got probably, I know for a fact, they still don't recognize it. And like I say, some people are seeing maybe offset living off the reputation, not maybe they are, maybe, maybe they offer, maybe they aren't. And people get annoyed with the certification industry. But I think what you said at the end is, and I've heard this again and again, ultimately it did open certifications have opened doors for you and they have allowed your career to progress and that's what important do you, that's what's important do you think it's fair to say it's best just to take the emotion out of it do the relevant serves and take the career progression gains would that be your advice or yes you have different paths for example you can take the certification path 
You can go doing some research, bug bountings, researching for zero days, things like that. That also brings recognition and rewards. It could be, if you see that way as a compensatory pass, but I see a lot of value in certifications. I use my own example. I got a lot of job offers from LinkedIn and the door opening were more certifications in some cases. So that's, if you want to grow, yeah, take it back into the consideration for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And thanks for mentioning the bit, the part of the answer to the question you mentioned on mental health and burnout. The episode released this week is from Andrew. He's one of the co-founders of Breakpoint Labs and he went into burnout and he said, once you're in it, it's extremely hard to dig yourself back out of it. So if you can avoid it in the first place, the old kind of saying prevention is better than cure and it's, it's right and I had it before. I had one point last year where it was, I was stopping to sleep for four to six hours. And then I was dealing with UK people in the morning and people in America at night. And I generated more revenue, recruitment revenue than I'd ever generated before. And it all sounded great, but uh, it definitely wasn't sustainable. And it definitely wasn't the happiest I've been in my role by far. Uh, I thought it was going to be, but it, but that it wasn't. And I think it's easier to say that for people listening, we're on video, I'm just showing MD. I've got a few gray hairs in my beard, getting a, getting a little bit wiser and a little bit older now. So maybe it's easy for me to say, but it's definitely good advice. And that motto of it's a, it's a marathon and not a sprint. Is there anything else on, on, on burnout you can advise? Any tips you can give? Because it's getting brought up by pretty much every guest they get on. So I feel it's worth yeah. doubling down on. And, and anything else you can bring up on that? Yeah, I would say that work-life balance is the thing. And before you get to the situations like burnout, your body send you send you some signals. A lot of people ignore those signals and that comes like sleep issues, as you mentioned. It could be like blood pressure, things like that. So eat well, exercise, have, you know, a hobby, things that you can do and save some time for the loved ones, for sure. Don't, as I mentioned, don't put your professional goals as number one and ignore the rest. That's my main advice. Definitely. And just one final bit to add on on that point as well is I'm actually a firm believer that if you adopt that strategy you've mentioned, which is little and often consistent, staying fresh, sharp, keep your stimulation levels high, keep your enjoyment levels high. I know from reading different books on absorbing information and learning, when you're happy and you're enjoying it and you're in a fairly refreshed state, that's when the information goes in. And I've also read about how when you get sufficient amounts of sleep, essentially it moves from one, the information moves from one part of your brain to the other, and it goes into our, our hard drive, our permanent storage unit within our brains. And that's how we retain and hold information. So as much as we're preventing burnout, we're actually learning in a more efficient way and essentially getting what we wanted anyway, <laughs> in a much happier state. Yeah, so, it, that's exactly the point. For example, if I save one hour every day for studying things, regardless if it's a technical or non-technical, if I use this time to read a book or study for a new certification, 
I have that client allocated for that. Yeah. Is I don't allocate that and start studying for a certification and may start studying, for example, four hours a day. That's a huge deviation in my routine and my body will feel that. So if I break that and put in, it's like an empty cab in my cabinet. I keep putting all my goals here, my certifications, whatever, but it's not, there is no deviation. I can even increase like for on one hour to 30 minutes. It's not a problem. The mm. other way around, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I say, it's just not sustainable either. That's the compound effect of consistency will always be trying to absolutely break your back in in a day or two. But no, thanks for that. There's definitely, definitely good stuff. And it's definitely stuff I'm hearing all the time. And yeah, the social media point, definitely. Insta- I don't participate in Facebook or Instagram. I'm just a massive LinkedIn fan. But yeah, the whole social media thing is anything that's worth having doesn't come overnight. And we live in this instantaneous world. Just while we're on that as well, I always like to get guests to put some timelines on it. You're at a senior point in your career. I'm just literally clicking back onto your LinkedIn profile right now. You've been director of adversarial simulation for just over two and two and a half years. If I'm listening to that now, before you were a red team manager, if I'm listening to this now and I'm maybe a year in, two years into my career, and I'm wanting to get to director level, wanting to get into a leadership position, how long should that actually take? How many years should I expect that to take? It depends. I think it depends on your effort in progressing in that career. I would say that to develop those soft skills, it's take at least a year, right? Because you need to build a solid vocabulary. You need to have a good emotional intelligence. And that those are things that you can learn as well. It's not something you were born with. Mm. So I would say don't have a specific number for that, but I don't see that happening last than a year, maybe one year and a half, because it requires more than the technical skills. And it's common, oh. right? It's common to see technical people getting promoted to leadership and then things getting wrong because they cannot handle those, those new tasks and uh, it became a mess. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting what you say there about just emotional skills and soft skills. And also when working on a, on a consultancy basis, I just think a certain amount of commercial awareness of how different businesses and industries and different business models work and function. If you're dealing with, say, a financial hedge fund trading type industry one day, and then maybe next day you, you're dealing with somewhat, something in healthcare, I think to have that commercial awareness and stuff like that, and the end clients are going to appreciate it more. It's going to make you more likely to get progression to a leadership position. But like you say, that type of thing comes with a certain level of maturity, like I said, a certain level of time and just learning things and just generally being in the commercial world, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I'm a big advocate of personal brand on LinkedIn. I know you're public speaking is a huge part of that. Can you tell me and the listeners more about your public speaking? Give us any advice, tips, hints for any guys or girls listening that are thinking about 
putting themselves out there and speaking with the InfoSec community. Yeah, definitely, Thomas. I cannot agree more with you regarding the personal brand and public speaking because you can be brilliant, but if you don't shine, you won't have access to some opportunities. And many of the remaining ones will take longer to come to you. It's common and very common, actually, to see skilled cybersecurity professionals uncomfortable with public speaking. But as I mentioned, this is a skill you can develop, but it requires patience, time, and exposure. I remember citing my anxiety when I started speaking, especially to groups larger than 10 people. So I suggest getting as much speaking exposure as possible. The fluence and confidence will come naturally. So you can even start with small groups, get together with a few folks, start talking about something we are comfortable with. And if you have fear of being judged, because that's very common, or if you don't feel good enough as a presenter, that's okay. Maybe you can try that in your company. Otherwise, you can volunteer uh, for a small presentation in a school, in your city. You can talk about your experiences with some students who might want to join the industry. So this way you can even help yourself and help others, which is win-win, right? And then mm -hmm. we, when you feel more confident, you can raise the bar and apply for events like Besides and Will West. And who knows, you see, you'll see yourself at the stage of events like Death Con or Black Hat, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And thanks for being so transparent and honest about how you feel when you speak, because it is nerve wracking. Like I don't do them much, but I do LinkedIn lives and you might have seen a few. But when I do it, I get, I'm not too bad at all. This now, me and you now, yes, it's being recorded. Technically we're online, but it's not live on LinkedIn or anything like that. So I'm okay. But those LinkedIn lives, I get. So, so nervous. I can't do any work. I can't do any recruitment about two or three hours before a LinkedIn live. Cause all I could think about is the LinkedIn live. So like my afternoon just gone. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a roller coaster of, of emotion, right? You get so excited <laughs> and then there's the anxiety. It's hard to, to think to have like a lot of thought and articulate some idea when you are yeah. in such uh, storm of emotions definitely definitely and i think as well it could be different for anyone like me and you were talking about speaking on stage for some people that might be a step too far maybe maybe for some people listening it's they're thinking about doing their first linkedin post or they're thinking about starting a youtube channel and or maybe they're just thinking about updating a github repo it could be anything but i think i think like you've said there we all feel the same Whatever anyone says, even the most confident person, in my opinion, still feels anxious. They still feel all those feelings of anxiety. They're just channeling them slightly better, or they're just channeling them into a positive way rather than a like a debilitating way. And I think that's all it is. We all feel everything. You've just said it there. And I know myself. I get super nervous when I'm doing anything, anything live. But uh, so. 
I, th- I think a lot of it is a case of, would you agree it's a case of just saying, you mentioned there starting in smaller groups, working your way up. And I think some of it as well is just doing it and just forcing yourself out of that comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah, exposure. Mm. I had to fight hard with my anxiety. With I, I started doing things like that. And uh, one thing that helped me a lot was this group we had in our city in the field when we used to talk about cybersecurity. Informal, we had a lot of friends there. So it was a little bit more comfortable for me to start speaking with those, with that audience. And mm. then I started to raise a bar. I tried one, and the first one, I think it was OWASP. I was very nervous and sweating a lot. <laughs> Thankfully, I was using like a dark color of shirt, otherwise they would see me <laughs> sweating a lot. <laughs> but I see if you don't get exposure, you never overcome that. I think when you feel uncomfortable, it's a fact. It means you are growing as a individual and as a person but i like that advice black shirt black t-shirt so that's that's good advice i like that one <laughs> but yeah and, and a phrase i always use and I, I use it again and again and i want to keep saying it but it does from a recruitment standpoint from a career progression standpoint it makes your resume 3d if there's a, if there's a version of umd and there's two of you and one of you does public speaking one of you pushes, puts themselves out there online, pretty active on LinkedIn, maybe doing stuff on GitHub. The one that has got that three-dimensional element to their profile, i.e. they're active online, that is the one that's getting the interview first or is it definitely these days more likely to get the job. And it's the one just that every employer across the board is valuing more and more. So it's, it just helps in, in so many ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you. I know you're an AI lover. I know that we've talked about it before. I know some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are scared of it. I think at times in recruitment at the minute, I know it's maybe getting a bit overused and I'm conscious of it. I'm trying to do a lot of personalization of different videos and stuff I'm sending out at the minute because I'm aware that pretty much everything can be automated these days. But I know we spoke about it before. I do think there's a definite place for it. It can be used. If I'm a cybersecurity professional right now or a pen tester or a cloud security engineer should i be scared of ai do you think it's going to take my job <laughs> no i don't see it that way and yeah i agree that this is a hot topic right now man yeah to my previous point i don't see ai taking your job as a pen tester or a cybersecurity professional engineer Unless you are doing repetitive work like checklists. And here is my opinion about that. At the moment, AI plays a significant role in automation, but it still cannot replace creativity, cannot replace innovative thinking. Machines can work impressively well with massive amounts of data, repetition, better recognition, but the caveat here is that uh, every solution comes with other problems to solve. So in short, the answer will be no, 
you should not be scared of using AI. Actually, you should be scared of not using it. <laughs> the okay. recent GPT models, I see them as game changers, uh, not only to Red Team, but to the world tech industry. And I remember, for example, when I had to spend hours and hours creating script templates for exploitation or small tasks. I used to have a folder on my computer with different script snippets. I used to organize them to save time before going to places like Google or Stack Overflow. And that's because it's hard to remember all the terminologies, all the functional names when working with multiple programming languages, for example. Mm. So that's not a stack anymore. For example, what was before three different scripts for fuzzing a specific protocol, depending on the programming language, now it's just a single prompt. If it simplify, simplifies or automates something, I'm game. Yeah, no, definitely. So in a nutshell, don't be scared of it. Be scared of not using it. It's a massive time saver. And but by the way, I agree. This wasn't, this isn't my original thought process. I heard this on a podcast yesterday and I couldn't agree more. No matter how good AI gets, there's a point where you just want to speak to a human. Like if me and you are talking about recruitment services or pen testing services, no matter how good that robot is, I do think there's a point where we just want to speak. We actually do want to speak to a, a real human being. I think it getting that good is, is quite a way off. But even if it does, I, yeah, I don't know. Human touch will always be, always be required. So I think you might have answered my, my next question already, but I'll ask it anyway, in case you've got any additional points that could benefit the listeners. How can AI be used to make things better in cybersecurity and in, and enhancing an, an individual's capabilities? I know you've mentioned time saving. You haven't got to take as long writing exploitation scripts. Is there anything else in your job role that, that you've utilized AI for that could help everyone? Yeah, for sure. I can start this answer in this funny story. I saw a post from a random guy on LinkedIn. Maybe you saw that as well the other day. And this guy basically said something like, thanks to ChatGPT, now anyone can be a hacker. And I had the impression that a project for a nuclear bomb was released. I remember I heard similar stuff when Metasploit was released 20 years ago. Regardless of the operational operations business, to be classified as bad or not, those tools still require someone bad operating there, right? So I see this speech as superficial, outdated, and people must move on and adapt to the technological change. Otherwise, it will be like, oh my God, because of this tool called SQL Map, now anyone can hack my website with a single command, one like command, and this resistance doesn't help them at all. Yeah. Actually, my opinion, if your website has an injection vulnerability, someone will hack it sooner than later, regardless of the two. And that's the vision people tend to ignore in a digital transformation process. But of course, 
ethical and regulation conversations should happen. We cannot ignore the risk, potential issues. Still, AI brings a great opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves, the value we generate, because so far our problem solving capabilities have been driven by the search for good answers. But with the improvements in AI tools, with the algorithms, we must work a bit backward. To find better answers, we need to ask better questions. And what I mean by better questions is effective prompts. And it's no surprise, a new market of prompts is arising. Maybe you saw that as well, Thomas. So yeah. it comes down to the previous question. Be prepared to ask good questions. Extract the best from the AI tools to automate or simplify things as much as possible. And use AI as augmentation tool for your skill set. Like a booster, right? Boom. Then you can save energy to solve other problems creatively because that's your differentiator as a human at the end of the day. And then, long story short, AI is the new gold rush. Early adopters will just start one step ahead. So regarding the problems, they won't disappear, actually. We will just have different ones to solve. That's all. Thank you, mate. I, I like that. And like you said, adopt it well, get good at it quickly, and free some of your own time up for things like research and development, getting some extra certifications. And you, it's it's going to basically give you extra hours in the day. And yeah, just to pick you up on that point, that the, the prompts... The prompt is, a, I know that's a huge thing with ChatGPT. Have you got any, I know you've mentioned the importance of it. Have you got any hints, tips, hacks, info you can give me and the listeners in terms of getting good at prompts? Yeah. So there are some marketplaces you can find on the internet. I don't have on top of my mind anyone, but there are many. And you can build your own templates. I suggest using things like Jupyter notebooks to share the prompts you have with your team. And then you can readapt, create some baselines and use that not to rework, to rework or things like that. But yeah, so I forgot this, the website. I think it's, there is an AI for that. I don't know the exact okay. name. Maybe we can share later, but yeah. there are some marketplace for prompts there. Yeah, we can definitely put it in the show notes after me and you can me and you can have a look once we finish the show or we can just ping each other on LinkedIn or, or, or whatever. But yeah, it's essentially, if your recon skills are on point, you're going to be able to find out how to get good at prompts. It's just having the desire and the want and the drive and the willingness to embrace the tech and and, and, and really go for it. It's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, like said, well, it won't be the end of it. You know, I can remember when LinkedIn came out, it was like, well, no more recruiters anymore. No one will need a recruiter because LinkedIn's here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, the same, it's the same now with AI. So I, so I, I think I say embrace it and, you know, resist it. If you resist it too long, you're going to be playing catch up for a long time. But thanks for the, thanks for those, giving us those ways that it's made your job, your job easier, MD. In terms of, is there, you've, we've covered quite a bit on AI. There's, I was going to ask you how it could enhance capabilities. I was going to ask how it could make life easier, better. I think we might have covered anything. Do you think there's anything else on the AI piece that's worth us mentioning or have we, have we boxed it off, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I would mention one example. I was using my last AI research relates to threat modeling automation for API. So basically I used some tools to read Swagger and open, open API files describing the API communication structure and used those tools to support me in identifying potential attack scenarios. And other examples for automation of tedious tasks are, for example, building ROP chains for binary exploitation, because this is really hard. Uh, plugins for malware analysis that you can connect on Ghidra or Ida Pro. And from the defensive side of things, it's hot as well. The possibilities are many, especially because of the adoption of DAC. It's, it stands for detection as code. So basically you can use AI to create detection use cases based on a prompt or a log snippet. Let's say you got braced. You get the log snippets put on the AI, and then you have the use case for detecting that moving forward. So this approach can save hours and hours of trial and error. And the other aspect of AI is that it doesn't mean that the content you get is correct because it is AI generated. I experienced some issues. For example, when I was creating assembly code for exploitation on Windows, even after instructing the API to use Windows API, the function was terminate process. And that's obviously terminate the process. So I showed all the function expected parameters. So they returned the whole code correct, mm -hmm. but the terminate process, it used the interruption 80 instead. Interruption 80 is a system called commonly used terminate process on Linux, not Windows. So that's an obvious example, but I saw many others where the content is slightly different from the correct one. So it seems that when it, it cannot connect the puzzle pieces, it goes toward an inference path. So yeah. my conclusion about it is that don't blindly, blindly trust what you get. Double check what you get, build the foundational knowledge to understand what's being generated, how and why. Without this foundational knowledge, you just be copying paste in your job if you'll be influenced by, by an AI for sure. Yeah, and that, by the way, thank you, because that is a massive point. Like this, this isn't a, this isn't a, I don't need to bother learning about, uh, you mentioned threat modeling for API there, you mentioned binary exploitation. This isn't, don't bother learning about it, don't bother finding out about it. This is, you know about it, your knowledge is strong, you're very good at it, you're just using it to save time. And I think essentially proofreading and checking what's going on, that is major because that could make someone look, that could make someone look pretty stupid, <laughs> couldn't it, if that's, <laughs> if that's not, if that's not checked. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you get it, but I, I, I get hit with um, emails all day long trying to sell me rec tech, we call it, technology for recruitment companies. And, you know, some of the stuff I'm getting, I can tell it's done by AI because some of the stuff he's saying just doesn't make sense and it's just not been checked and this, that, yeah. and the other. So you're making a lot of sense. And, and by the way, it really does sound like you're utilizing it really well. Like some of the things you've described there, like using it for defensive stuff, like you say, you're using it for really 
sophisticated, complex tasks, such as binary exploitation and other things like your threat modeling. It sounds like you, it definitely sounds like you're miles ahead of most. And I know I'm pushing you on it, uh, MD, because I keep asking you again and again, but you keep giving me great snippets of information. Is there anything else? Because you, you've given us like three, four extra really cool things there. Regarding AI, I think we, I covered pretty much, obviously it's a superficial analysis here, otherwise we would spend yeah. hours in our time. But the long story short is that I use AI as my assistant. So it's right here besides me, help me with all my activities daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's, thanks for that, mate. And that's, yeah, that's really helpful. Definitely. Sounds like you're really leveraging it ahead of a lot. Okay, my friend, uh, your, communi your communication skills are strong. We've touched a bit on this about 15 minutes ago. I feel like the skill, we always talk about the skills gap in cybersecurity. We always talk about the skills gap in on the technical side of things. I think there's an even bigger skills gap when it comes to communication skills. Any tips uh, or help we can give the listeners on how to get better at communication skills and, and also as, as, as a leader. Uh, and as someone at director level, like you are now, can you just tell the listeners, if you think communication skills aren't important, can you explain why they are? Yeah, definitely they are important because that's the entry door and, and it's a path for you to have a higher position, go to the leadership uh, path. If you want to stay in the technical field, that's fine. But if you want to definitely go in this leadership path, I would recommend improving your communication skills. Mm -hmm. And to help you with that, I would say that number one, observation. You can try to observe how a good speaker articulates. Number two, practice. Without practice, that's the same thing we discussed with the presentation, right? You can even combine observation with practice by filming yourself doing some presentation in your role. Then you can watch it, observe the improvement points and adjust. Or if you still need external help, you can obviously find a lot of specialized services on the internet. But for remote presentation, I definitely suggest a tool called Poist. You can check it out at Poist, P-O-I-S-E-D.com. And it's basically a program you install on your computer and it's AI-based, which I love. It's a tool that analyzes your communication in real time and mm -hmm. gives some insights like, okay, you are low energy right now. There is an excess of feeling words like here, so you need to. Fix that. Of course, if you are nervous, that's a distraction, but that's something <laughs> that you can get yeah. used over time. So that's my suggestion. That, that is a, sounds like a great tool. So we'll, we'll definitely put in the, in the show notes. So basically I'm on the, I download the app and then I just, um, record myself on a seminar or a LinkedIn live on a podcast or speaking. Uh, in general, or I just record myself speaking however I want, and it gives me the relevant analytics to show me where I need to improve and, and get better. Yeah, for sure. Mm. You can, yeah, yeah, record yourself, use things like Poist. If you want to do the self-learning path, use tools like that to support you. 
Otherwise, it can, it's fine to get external support because there are a lot of experts that are in this field. And it, it, it's like a shortcut. You don't need to spend all that time learning and adapting if you have someone experting in yes. this field or helping you with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds great. Thank you, my friend. And just another point I was going to mention when we were talking about AI and, and automation, for anyone, I think most people now are starting to embrace it. I know, I know, but I think everyone goes through a bit of a, um, a funny phase. First of all, we ignore it. We pretend it doesn't exist. And, and then we slowly start looking at it. And then we start going, this is actually pretty good. But I know from some of like the, the cloud security engineer projects that some of our, our candidates are on at the minute, it's the end clients are really wanting automation to be heavily implemented into the systems. They're wanting to know the costings. I did a bit of a post about it earlier on LinkedIn. That is the, the, the demand for this kind of stuff for obvious commercial reasons is, is definitely there. So I think the more people can embrace it, the, the better, but yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that. And then loving that, that tool on, on enhancing communications, cause we'll definitely, we'll definitely put that in the, in, in the show notes. Moving on to, and this one's more specific for offensive security engineers, but report writing for technical and non-technical stakeholders. Can you give us any tips and hints for producing good reports? Yeah, for sure. And that's another excellent question, Thomas, because something that I noticed during all those years working initially with delivery and then moving to the leadership area is that the security technical people had us when translating technical language into non-technical. I met some really skilled professionals who can articulate very well when communicating with someone in the same field, still when it comes to explaining the same topic to an executive, they needed assistance. The answer here overlaps a little bit with the previous questions regarding communication, and it pretty much ties to vocabulary building. However, building a vocabulary for this communication abstraction takes time, right? The most commonly used technique for explaining complex topics is analogy. So if you look at some individuals like Carl Sagan, you're being pressed by how they can create straightforward analogies to explain complex topics like black holes. Like a kid can understand that, right? But mm -hmm. until you get to that point, some tools can be used to support you. And number one, again, AI. You can practice with products like LI5. LI5 stands for explain like I am five, five years old, right? Okay. So you can give okay. the AI any complex topic like LI5's exploitation through hip strain. It's crazy how it's sometimes, it's, it's even funny seeing how easily a topic can be explained using those methods. Okay, great. And so basically using analogies, improving your vocabulary, the tool and the what did you, can you just say that the last thing you're going to do six what's it like i'm five but i just missed 
It's a prompt. So if you go to, yeah. it's a, a built-in prompt nowadays. You can use it in yeah. all the, most of the AIs. So airline okay. size and the topic you want to be explained. Airline. E-L-I-5. Yeah. You can put that first. Yeah. Put that first and then put the topic you want. The AI you understand you want that abstraction. And you explain that using things like, okay, you have a playground, you have blocks, and this is good, this is bad, things like that. Yeah, okay, cool. Wicked. Again, you've given us loads, my friend. Anything else on report writing or, yeah, report writing in technical terms or in non-technical terms? Any other tips you can, you can give us on that? Yeah, I think... It's still on the vocabulary. You can go to places like TAD.com to build that that vocabulary. You can use the AI for abstraction on the language, right? Mm-hmm. And in practice, you can get some examples as reference and try to apply that in your routine and see how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think another. I think another one as well is I, I don't if you you've tapped into this or this is something you found useful, but there's certain podcasts that I listen to at the minute that they're nothing to do with cybersecurity or recruitment, but they're done by highly intelligent intellectual people and they're very entertaining. There's one in the UK called The Diary of a CEO and and he has all sorts of famous guests on uh, from around the world, people that have done extraordinary things in different industries. And... I'm unsure that from listening to that podcast, you, you get better at articulating your, uh, yourself. Your vocab definitely improves um, because you're just listening to highly intelligent, highly successful people. So it naturally rubs off on you. So I think that could be a, uh, a, a good thing as well. Another one to mention as well is I have the guys from, have you ever heard of a platform called Cyber Judo? Have you ever heard of that one? I did a post about it the other day. No, I don't think so. Yeah, they came on the other week and they've put a load of, they've produced like a platform for report writing, hacker mindset, everything like that. So I just think in general, there's loads of resources out. I think a lot of it is attitude and really wanting to push yourself forward and having that, having that drive, isn't it? But if you can utilize the AI as well, then it just gets a bit game changing, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's good to know about that. Definitely, I would check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cyber Judo. Yeah, so it's on my LinkedIn page. I posted about it about four or five days ago. And okay, my friend, so we'll come, as we come to the end here, and any, I know not everyone reads books these days because they're busy. So I, ch- I used to say, what book has had the most positive impact on your career? But the question is more kind of, what book or audio book or podcast or YouTube channel have you listened to lately that's had the most positive impact on your career progression? Yeah, definitely. I can list three here. Number one will oh. be the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Uh, number two, oh, yeah. the okay. emotional intelligence series. It's a series of books by Dan- Daniel Goldman. And number three, Atomic Addicts by James Clear. Note that I did not mention any technical book, and I did that on purpose because we are constantly swamped with specialized technical content. 
but technical mm. people tend to stay in this learning zone. So mm. depending on your field, it could be relevant if I list technical stuff here, but maybe not. So I recommend those books regardless of your expertise level or industry because they play a significant role in my career and I hope the listeners will enjoy it as well. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, my friend. And I don't want to tell the listeners everything about those three books because I want them to read them. But can you maybe tell us one key learning that you took away from each one of those? Yeah. So basically, if I can summarize the three books in a few words would be create wealthy habits. And that is related to what we discussed about mental health, biological health, create this wealthy routine and, and try to work out your soft skills with that same effort that you put on your technical skills, because regardless if you want to go the leadership path, that will be helpful in your career regardless. So that's my thoughts on that. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, MT. And I promise you in hours, I'm only going to ask you one, one more question. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you just on OSCP. I know you've got the certification. In my opinion, it's the biggest HR buster go in terms of career progression, getting you the interview and moving you forward. Any kind of, any tips you can give the listeners um, for anyone listening who's preparing for OSCP or thinking about taking it? Anything that you know now that you wish you knew before you took the certification that you can say? Yeah. So when I took the OSP, it was 2019 and the hardest topic is not there anymore, which is buffer overflow. It was replaced by active directory security, which is very relevant nowadays. Mm. But I took the CRT, which is overlaps a little bit. But my advice is, yeah, go for it. It takes time, especially for beginners, because you need to build some foundational knowledge, especially because this exam is broad. You need to know Active Directory security. You need to know Linux security. You need to know Windows security, different OS. And it takes some time, right? But when I remember when I took this certification, it took just 24 hours for me to start receiving job offers from companies <laughs> looking for, wow, that's, that's true. Four hours later, when I, I posted on my profile, I started getting offers from companies. So that's speak for itself, right? Don't need to pick anything else. If you want like that booster, definitely OSCP is a great starting point. And then you can go with the OSC3, which is really cool as well. Yeah, thank you, my friend. And yeah, no, that's that's an interesting and it's a nice place to finish that you OSCP on LinkedIn, job offers within 24 hours. Does not yeah. surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Is there anything that, is there anything I should have asked that happened? Is there anything that we've missed there or anything else that need, needs covering, do you think? Or? Oh, no, I think I enjoyed a lot of this conversation. We discussed a lot of things like AI, 
career progression, mental health, soft skills, uh, communication skills. I think it, this was a great uh, conversation and uh, I think we covered everything I had in mind. Definitely, my friend. Definitely. So, MD, thank you. Really enjoyed that episode, my friend. Couldn't agree more with what you just said. There's loads for the listeners to get from that, whether it be leadership, technical, really unique spin on the show as well. We've not had anyone come on the show yet talking about AI in any form. I think, in, I was going to say in any depth, I don't think we've had anyone talk about AI at all. So thank you. I know I've learned some interesting things from listening to you. So uh, thank you, my friend. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you soon. Thank you. Yeah, let's keep in touch for sure.